And we have been in this series uh, called Expansion, and we took a break last week. Can we give it up for our youth pastor, John Hernandez, who brought an amazing word? Happy Mother's Day last week, too. Uh, I know uh, a lot of the women in our church were blessed with bath bombs, and I'm pretty sure we don't have any left. So uh, hopefully you guys have enjoyed some um, relaxing time this past past week. Uh, perfect perfect day yesterday to take a bath, too, because it was, like, rainy, you know what I mean? So anyway, I ate a lot of soup. That's what I do on rainy days. Uh, anyway, that's weird. Okay, we're going to transition here. Uh, so we're in the series, right? And we're going to open our Bibles up to Acts. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 7 this morning. And we've been in this series called Expansion. And it's all about reaching out to people that are different than you. And uh, we've been zooming in on this character of the early church named Stephen, who was this Jewish guy, uh, one of God's people. Uh, but there was this tension that he was experiencing as he followed Jesus. He became a follower of Jesus because of the amazing fact that, like, Jesus died and conquered the grave. So this new movement called the Church of Jesus erupts in the pages of the book of Acts. And what we're realizing in the book of Acts is through God himself, God is wanting to expand that grace, that love, that compassion that he displayed on the cross in dying for our sins. And he wants that to be expanded everywhere. And you see certain people, these followers who have moved by, by God in terms of what Jesus had done, beginning to experience this tension with their heritage, with, with their own family, right? As the people of God, we have these Jews that left behind a lot of their history and their heritage to follow what God was doing because God was doing something new. And over the past few weeks in this series, we've been looking at this character, Stephen, who's been trying to plea with these people who are really holding tight to tradition, and they're missing out on what God's trying to do today, Right? Stephen's teaching that God was not bound to a specific geography. God was not bound, or his heart wasn't to be bound to Jerusalem, this one specific city, or his presence wasn't meant to be bound within human-built walls in a temple, right? The temple was this place that the, 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 the Jewish people, they, they recognized as this place where, where heaven and earth kind of collided into one, a place where they would worship God, where his presence uh, dwelled, right? But all these followers of Jesus started catching on to this idea that God was for everyone, that Jesus had died for all. It didn't matter, Jew or Gentile, those who were not Jews, but God had died for each and every person. So we have these early church leaders who are fired up about the expansion beyond a lot of the formalities of, of, of Jewish tradition. And particularly, we have this character, Stephen, right? And I've titled the message this morning as this, Jew or Christian? Because there's this tension that we're seeing in this time in the biblical narrative where you have this person who grew up probably in a household where they often read out of the scriptures, the Torah, what we would call the Old Testament. But they're starting to be influenced about Jesus and the culmination of the scriptures and the Messiah that was prophesied. Jesus being the one who is doing a new thing, offering a new covenant relationship with his people. See, the Old Testament, another word for testament is covenant, based off of the, the covenants prior that the people of God had gotten into. But through Jesus, he offers a new covenant, a covenant of grace, a covenant of forgiveness, a covenant of mercy. And people started catching on to this and saying, hey, this isn't just for us. This needs to be expanded to each and every person on this earth. So we have these early church leaders who are Jewish by heritage starting to feel this tension of what it meant to be historically a Jew, but also understanding that they're followers of Jesus. And Jesus was wanting to expand his grace and the goodness of God to everyone. So we're picking up in this narrative at a point where, man, Stephen has pleaded his full case. He's basically, guys, you got to get on board. 
You got to get on board and you got to understand that God's doing something new. And if you don't get on board, you're going to miss it. And you're going to miss it big time. And you're going to realize you're off the path and the track that God set out for you. That you're doing all these traditions and you're doing them in a pointless fashion because you're not even on board with God himself. Jesus, God in the flesh who came to die and deal once for all with this issue of sin. Deal with this issue that, man, each and every one of us as human beings, there's an error within us. We all fall short. We're all imperfect. But Jesus came to deal with that so that we didn't have to worry about that, right? Once and for all, he did that. So he's trying to get everybody on board. But of course, because these are very traditional people who hold to their values, hold to, man, hundreds of years of tradition, they're having a problem. And they're having a problem with the way that Stephen's jumping ship, as they feel, from their tradition and advocating for a new way. So we're picking up in the narrative, and, and, and Stephen's pleaded his case, and now we're, we're getting to the meat of this, the pinnacle of, of a lot of the anger, a lot of the tension as he's pleaded and really, he's, he's, he's speaking before his accusers, uh, really before them, and, and he's, he's really facing the death penalty in terms of, of what he's being accused of, of turning his back on, on Jewish heritage. So we, we pick up in Acts chapter 7, verse 54, and we're going to read along here uh, on the screen in the NIV uh, translation. If you've got a Bible of your own, you can read along. Uh, no worries. It says this in, in Acts chapter 7, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he, fell, uh, then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, and put them in prison. Let's pray this morning. Lord God, um, I'm, I'm thankful this morning that, that your scripture promises that your word is alive. It's active. So Lord, I just pray that your spirit, in whatever way you need to get our attention, maybe in whatever way, maybe we're getting off track. In the same way that this audience, man, they were missing you. They were missing out on the goodness of you. Lord, would you help us get back on track today? Lord, would we not miss this moment? Would we not miss understanding that, Lord, when we're together, Lord God, as, as your people, Lord, uh, things can manifest in a way of your goodness, Lord. So, Lord, will we open our hearts to you today, understanding that you want to make some pretty uh, heavenly deposits in our heart and in our mind, Lord. And, and we don't want to leave this place the same. So, Lord, uh, do only what you can do in this place this morning as we continue to worship you through your word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So, as we read that, I mean, it's like, it's pretty intense, right? Like, we have... At this point in the, in the scriptures, the example of the first Christian martyr, right? This is the first person in this whole movement of this movement of Jesus that's died for their faith in Jesus, right? Now, martyr is this word that I think we should just kind of like define it on, on, on a just kind of a general level to begin with. And a great way to describe what a martyr is is a person who dies on behalf of their faith. It allows an opportunity for a person to literally witness their true faith. Like, my faith is real because I'm literally willing to die for it. Like, if I have to stand up for my faith 
and face death, like I'm willing to do it. So it witnesses this uh, faithfulness, right, in spirituality. It witnesses this great thing. But, but this morning, I love it because Stephen in this section of scripture, as he's the first Christian martyr, he, he begins to kind of redefine what a martyr looks like, the posture of a martyr. For us, we're going to really dig into some practicalities today of how this can affect us and our posture as people that are, that are pursuing the things of God, as people that want to pursue the goodness of God on this earth, as people that want to pursue God's goodness and his presence breaking out into the darkest places in our world, in our nation, right? Man, there's just so much heartbreak that exists. Even this week, another school shooting, right? And we just we mourn and we have so much heartbreak. But God has set up the stage for us to be people that advocate for the goodness of God. And allow ourselves to be vessels of love and grace. Amen? So this morning we're going we're gonna to break this little section of scripture down. We're going to begin with Acts chapter 7 and, and make some observations. Starting with verse 54. Let's go from the beginning. It says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this. So Stephen just gave this amazing speech. And just basically be like, hey everybody get on board. It says they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Gnashing of teeth, right? Like you think about that, you're like, well, that's pretty intense. Like these people uh, must have been pretty upset here, right? And it's interesting because this actual phrase, gnashed with their teeth, is this exact similar language that Jesus uses earlier in the gospel. So I think it's for us this morning, it's, it's interesting, it's good for us to kind of relate back to what Jesus said. Because really prophetically, what Jesus said, he's speaking into the future of this moment that's about to happen in this narrative that we're looking at in Acts. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 28, where this phrase, gnashing of teeth, is used. And this is what Jesus says. This is what it says in Luke 13. It says, then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? I love this because it's kind of like, we want to know who's in, who's out. Like, we want to know who the exclusive people are. Chances are this was a Jewish person who believed like, hey, we're the remnant, we're the people, this is all about us, we're God's people, we're Israel, we're the ones who have been called and chosen. And this is the response that Jesus gives, right? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there, and here it is, and gnashing of teeth. When you see... Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are thrown out. This is very interesting because contextually what we're seeing here is a group of people that are like, yo, we're a shoe in Like, we're in because, you know, we're Jewish. Yo, we got the heritage. We're the people of God. We're on the right lineage. And, you, hey, Jesus, like, clarify for us, like, who's in and who's out. And he's like, you're going to be kind of surprised because you got to get through the door. And in other parts of Scripture, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the door. He is the door. He's, he's describing himself as the only way to get in, right? But we have a lot of Jewish people with their heritage who are like, well, because of my family, no, like, I'm in. And Jesus confronts that idea. And he's like, nah, you're not going to just get in because of a status. You're going to get in simply because of me and what I've done. That I'm the one who's paid the price and broken the barrier. It's not about what you've done. It's not about what you're earning or trying to earn. It's about what I've done, and I've done it for you, and I'm offering it to you as a free gift of grace. That's why God is so good. He's done it all for us through Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, the good news of God, right? 
Jesus is trying to confront a lot of this behavior that's like, well, we're going to get in all these other ways. And he's like, no, wait a second. Receive the free gift and the grace. Receive me. I'm standing right in front of you. But for those who are on the outside, they're going to be mad. Because the whole time they thought we were doing all the right things. We were doing all the right rituals. We were doing all the things of what it meant to be maybe a good Jewish person, right? And we're going to be on the outside. We're going to see all the prophets all the people that we looked up to, we're going to realize us and our personal responsibility, we missed the door. We missed Jesus. And because of that, people are going to be banging on the door in anger with that gnashing of teeth. And what do we have here? As Stephen confronts these people, he says, you got to get on board. Don't miss Jesus. He confronts them. He gets down deep. He just gives this amazing speech that probably hit the heartstrings of so many people of understanding, yeah, chances are this guy might be right. But in terms of their religious status, they're like, well, we've got to cut him off and consider him to be one who's blasphemous. They were so angry at what Stephen had, had portrayed and what he was alluding to and what Jesus was doing in this day and age. They began to rise up with so much anger that they were gnashing their teeth. Let's keep going. Acts 7, 55 through 56. Here we go. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen begins to describe something that is a collision between heaven and earth. In this moment, as these people, these accusers, are rising up against him, Stephen looks up, and the realm of heaven and earth begin to crash into each other. Jesus, what he said, he's like, I, I, I'm going to have the authority at the right hand of the Father. The Father and I are one. Literally, Stephen looks up in this moment, and he sees this literal event happening as heaven and earth are crashing into one in this moment. This is what's so interesting for us. There, there's this idea of witnessing your faith as a martyr. But for the Christian martyr in this context, and for many others that have died because of their faith, the purest form of witness can become a moment where heaven and earth begin to merge together. In your last moments on earth, and in this case, one where, where he knew the end was inevitable because he was around an angry mob that were extremely religious and disagree with him. God gives him an opportunity to see heaven and earth combined into one. God gives him an opportunity to witness something beyond people's humanly power and human comprehension, right? The martyr, the idea of martyrs are kind of reformed through Stephen and the example that he sets because he witnesses momentarily an overlap. He's standing on the threshold between heaven and earth. It's powerful, right? And it's interesting because for the Jew, the temple was supposed to be this overlap between heaven and earth. But Stephen, as a defender of the faith, as one who's on board with what God is doing, stands there as a person, a temple himself of the Holy Spirit, as a follower of Jesus, following faithfully in this moment where he's about to die because of his faith, God grants him that presence that so many people worship the temple for, an overlap between heaven and earth. God's allowing him to experience by just being a follower of Jesus. God's glory is seen in heaven. As Stephen looks up, as he's about to die for his faith, he sees it. He sees heaven. He sees God's glory in heaven, not in the temple at that moment. Here's what I love about this. 
I truly believe misery shouldn't be sought because of our faith. But here's what I know. When we get into sticky situations because of our faith, God shows up in the midst of it. God is so good that he shows up in the midst of our misery. God allowed Stephen to experience in his last moments on earth this overlap that goes beyond this human capacity and dimension. For some of us in the room, we think, we think about death and we get a little bit scared, right? I love it. What does God do as a rescuer in this situation? He's like, this guy's defending me, and on behalf of that, in, this, in a moment where so many people should be scared, and where so many people fear that moment of being alone, he allows Stephen to have this amazing experience where in the midst of the misery, heavenly blessing crashes in. God is a God that in the midst of our misery, if we're following him and we're staying on track with him, come on, he wants us to experience heavenly blessing. Come on, somebody. In the midst of the misery, I don't know what you're going through in your life right now, but I, here's what I know. There's miserable moments for each and every one of us, but as followers of Jesus, what I love about God is that even in the midst of hell on earth, come on, God allows us to experience heaven. That's good news this morning in terms of what Jesus wants to allow us to experience in a relationship with him. He wants to grant us blessing in the middle of our misery. And I love the beauty of what Stephen is experiencing. In the middle of the misery, you see God show up. Thinking even of Jesus' tomb. The women who are waiting and, and he's just in grief because Jesus, he, he's dead. What do we do? He was he, is he who he claimed he is? They're grieving over the loss of Jesus, someone they got so close to. We see an angel of the Lord appear and give, give good news about the resurrection, right? We see that throughout the scripture. In the moments of misery, God's presence shows up in a big way. God is so faithful. He's so good to us to show up in the middle of our misery and bring blessing in his presence and his comfort. Amen? Let's keep going here. This is good. So 7, 57 through 58, we keep moving. It says, at this... They covered their ears. So he's talking about the fact that he sees Jesus on the throne, right? Sitting and standing before he sits down at the right hand of the Father, right? And it says, at this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. Number one, that sounds kind of like toddler behavior. Uh, since I have a three-year-old, it's kind of fresh in my mind and my heart. Um, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. A lot going on here, right? First, we have stoning. What does stoning look like? Stoning looks like this. You, as a person who's accused you, says that we're going to kill you. And the way we're going to kill you is by stoning. So we're going to rip all your clothes off, make you shameful in front of everybody. You're going to be naked. And we're going to, typically they tied people to a pole. And, and the accusers took turn with different sized stones and threw it at the person until they died. Horrible way to die. Excruciating, long-suffering way to die. Right? And this is what... Stephen is experiencing at this moment. They considered everything for him to be saying so blasphemous that they didn't even want it to touch their eardrums. These people were covering their ears yelling so that for them what they thought was blasphemy that was going to poison them and their standard and their status with God as they tried to manage their own holy status, they covered their ears yelled so that they wouldn't be infiltrated by this blasphemy that Stephen was apparently continuing to speak and they begin to stone him. And we have this little note of this character that's introduced as the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of this young man named Saul. Now, for those of you who haven't read kind of the end of the story or continuing on in the progression of the New Testament, that, that back one-third of the Bible, um, Saul is this man who was a Christian killer. He was one who was, who was very, if we were going to relate it to today, a terrorist. 
during that time. The ISIS of yesterday was, was the type of person that Saul was to wreak terror upon Christians, right? And this is our first introduction of this person. And, and we know that the, the, the later part of the story is that God gets a hold of this guy on his way to murder Christians and changes his name to, uh, to Paul and redeems him. And he becomes an author to what we call one-third of today, the New Testament. There's many letters to different churches written by this man named Paul who gets rocked supernaturally by God. But, but we were introduced to this character in the status of him being a, a, a Christian hater, a hater of this movement, one who was much like a zealot during that time who did, had extreme behavior in terms of his faith and his belief set, even to the point of aggressively punishing someone. And it's interesting to note that during this time for, for faithful Jewish men who are elders, typically to keep their status socially, they wouldn't get into the affairs of the things that existed on the ground. So many times they would send out the young people. We got this young person who's fired up. Let's go send him out to deal with some of this stuff that maybe be threatening our faith. So in this case, Stephen, let's take care of this guy. Let's send Saul. He's fired up. He's younger. Let's make him put his reputation on the line so that we older people can keep our dignity, can keep our respect among uh, our Jewish uh, family and our friends and, and the people in our society, right? So we have this guy, Saul, being sent out as this young person but we know and we understand because of the behavior of them laying their coats down that he was a leader. The people were on board, even though he's young, even though he's passionate, people were on board with him because there was enough accusers, enough people that disagreed with Stephen that he created this kind of following. That we're going to kill this guy and who's with me? And people followed because of this threat to this, this, this religious right of what it meant to be a Jew and the, and the people of God, Right? We move on to verse 59 and 60. It says this. They begin to stone him. It says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. In the middle of this, he reaches out to God. Because the heavens are open. Because there's access. I love this beautiful illustration that we're given of, of prayer, essentially, right? Did you know that when we pray, that, what, that illustration of what we're seeing here early on in the book of Acts is exactly what happens. Heaven begins to open up. Jesus allows us to have a bridge and a communication to say, God, move in our midst. That's why prayer becomes so powerful. So in this moment, this pure moment, what's Stephen, what other choice does he have other than to commune and communicate with God as God's opened up the heavenly realm and allowed him to be on the threshold between heaven and earth and to see his Lord and see his Savior? He cries out to him. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. It's interesting. We got a contrast of cries here. We got people that are considering what Stephen said to be so blasphemous. They're crying out to plug their ears, to keep their ears pure from this apparent blasphemy that this man's speaking. And then we have a contrast of cry one verse later of somebody crying out to God. And the content of those cries is what I really want to zoom in here on. In his last breath, in his last moments of life, man, if anybody feels like they should have any rights to defend, it probably should be Stephen in this moment. But we see a contrast of judgment versus forgiveness. We see a contrast for those who are vehemently, aggressively attacking this man because of his belief in terms of what he saw Jesus do and what Jesus promises in terms of the grace and forgiveness for the earth judging him. But what does Stephen do in his posture to them? He offers forgiveness. 
this is interesting because you got to understand, once again, there's a tension here between a Jewish man and the Christian faith. A man who is used to the way that God worked and this new way that God was introducing 